Well, tonight I get to talk about reputation. And I have to tell you, I thanked Mark a few times. I'm going to thank him one more time for assigning this to me. I had not studied reputation before, and I'm not done yet. But I had to stop and come teach. Um, it's it's a, an amazing topic, and I, I hope that um, you're blessed tonight by what the Bible has to say about the um, responsibility you and I have to steward the reputation that you have. And, and I guess I would start off with a question. Don't answer out loud, but do you have a good reputation? Or do you have a bad reputation? What is your reputation? And I know I'm talking about something here that all of you, many of you, um, think a lot about. Some of you even obsess about your reputation. And I don't know who you are, but I, I think um, it's all over our culture. The people that present a picture on Instagram, Twitter, uh, fake book, whatever it is, um, <laughs> I, I talked with a guy earlier today, had coffee with a guy earlier today, and we talked about that. The image that people project on social media, and it's all designed um, to develop a reputation, a public picture. If you have a good reputation or a bad reputation, I wonder why you think that is. Um, <clears throat> why is your reputation good? Why is it bad? What is your reputation as it relates to kindness? Do you have a reputation for being kind? Or harsh? Do you have a reputation of being a truth teller or a liar? Do you have a reputation of integrity or of hypocrisy? Are you known as a humble person or a proud person? And ultimately, I guess the question is, do you care what your reputation is? And the Bible makes really clear that we are to care. Not obsess about our reputation, and we'll talk about that, but we should care. And what is a reputation? Well, the, the uh, American Heritage Dictionary, and I had to be careful because, you know, the di- dictionary is changing definitions of words all the time, but I'll go with this. A reputation is the general opinion or judgment of the public about a person or thing. It's a good definition. It's a widespread description of a characteristic or trait to a person or a thing. A good reputation takes time, and it takes a lot of work. It requires a concerted effort to create that reputation and then to protect that reputation. And generally, I think it's safe to say that everybody wants a good reputation. But not everybody wants to do the work required to establish that good reputation. And the flip side of that is that a bad reputation happens very, very quickly. And some of you have seen that happen. And that bad reputation can, t- can last a very long time. A guy named Benjamin Franklin, you may have heard of, heard of him, he said it takes many good deeds to build a good reputation and only one bad deed to lose it. And that's true. I did a little research. It was kind of fun. Um, bad reputations are a big deal, particularly in this part of the country. It's called Hollyweird. They don't want bad reputations. And there are consulting firms here in L.A., I have found, that are called reputation repair consulting firms. I actually made a few phone calls. 
the cost, the retainer that you put these companies on range anywhere from $2,500 a month all the way up to $80,000 a month. People are paying that much to have on deck someone to fix when their reputation goes south. You and I are the victim of the manipulation that comes from companies like that. They are very good. Very good at it. There are marketing firms. Some of you work for marketing firms. You know that your job partially is to eliminate or to manage negative effects on a company's reputation. It's also known as public relation firms. So why be so concerned about a bad reputation? Why do you dislike or think you don't want a bad reputation? Well, frankly, part of it could be pride. It's very difficult for some of us to think that everyone doesn't think of me the way I think of me. And I want everyone to adopt what I think my reputation should be. There's also consequences to a bad reputation. I work in an industry. I'm a forensic accountant. I testify in court. It's a small community, pretty well known in that community. One mistake in court whether it's a mistake of competence or a mistake of integrity, and I'm done. And I know that. Reputation counts for a lot. Some of you work in industries like that. Reputation at church matters, doesn't it? I mean, the Bible says it should matter at church. Family, relationships. I got news for some of you guys. You're going to want to go to a young lady's dad someday and say, I'd kind of like to marry your daughter. The little secret is that man probably knows your reputation before you get there. You think it's important to have a good reputation? It is. Nobody's smiling. It's very serious. <laughs> Getting married is a good thing. Okay. You don't want your bad reputation to go before you and prevent you from doing what you want to do. Getting a promotion at work. Relationships here at church or at work. Another reason people are concerned and maybe a good summary, why people get concerned about a bad reputation is a fear of man. That if everyone knows your reputation, um, they might not like you as much. And the fourth reason would be, and the most important one is not the fear of man, but the fear of who? Fear of God. And I say that, I'm just going to run through a bunch of verses here with you, where it talks about in the Bible, your reputation Proverbs 3.3, 3, do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Why? Verse 4, so you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. Proverbs 22.1, a good name is more to be desired than great wealth. Favor is better than silver and gold. I hope you understand that. A good name is more desired than great wealth. Ecclesiastes 7, um, 1, a good name is better than a good ointment. I love the rest of this verse. And the day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth. Why is that? Because if you live a life developing a good name, you die with that good name. The day you're born, you don't have a reputation. You have a lifetime ahead of you of building a good name. That's why he says the day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth. Acts 6 talks about those who are going to be 
appointed for service in the church. Not elders, not pastors, just people who were going to serve in the church. And it says that they needed to be men of good reputation. Same goes for elders and pastors. First Timothy 3, an elder must have a good reputation with those outside the church. So you can see it's all over the Bible, and I haven't hit all the places we could go to. But there's a tension, and this is why I thank Mark one more time for, for assigning this topic, because the more I thought about this, the more I thought there is a tremendous tension when you start thinking about reputation. And it goes like this. One, the Bible says that your reputation matters. Did you hear that? Your reputation matters. God says it matters. We just went through a lot of verses to show that. Second, everyone has a reputation. We're not to the tense part yet. The third truth is you're required to have and to protect a good reputation. But the fourth reality is you are not in control of your reputation. Have you ever thought about that? Your reputation is based on the testimony of other people. Other people hold your, test, your, your reputation in their hand. And why do I say that? Well, the Greek word for reputation in the Bible is, I'm not going to try and say it. I'm just an accountant. I'll let one of the smart people say it. But it translates to a certifying testimony. It translates to speaking well or bearing witness or to be well spoken of. A great example is 3 John chapter 1. Listen to this discussion, this uh, um, um, description of Demetrius. 3 John 1 verse 12. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. And we add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. Four times it mentions testimony. It's all good, by the way. People speak well of him, and what they say about him lines up with the truth. The truth testifies about him. And we add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. You can replace word reputation. It's the same word. You can replace all those verses I read you, reputation or good name, with a good report or the testimony of others, and you will not have changed the meaning of any of those verses. That's what a, te- that's what a reputation is. What's the tension? The tension is you are called to have a good reputation. The flip side of that is you're not in control of your reputation. Do you feel that tension? So how can the Bible tell us to do something that we have no control over? Well, your reputation is based on what others say about you. It's not based on what you think it is or what you want it to be. And as we think about that tension, keep in mind the following. One of the blessings of a faithful life is a good reputation. Good testimonies about you. Second thing is one of the consequences of sin or a mistake or an embarrassing moment. One of the consequences of any of those is a bad what? Reputation. Bad reports. But one of the signs of a fallen world is the unwanted destruction 
of a good reputation by other people. And that's why I'm saying there's a tension. You cannot control what other people say. People are mean. Some of you have experienced this. Some people are downright evil. Some people are liars, manipulators. They're wicked. You see, you can live a perfect life and someone could still destroy your reputation. That's not hyperbole. Think about Jesus. He did live that perfect life. And I went through the book of John and read most of the book of John through the prism of what were people saying about Jesus? And it's astounding. It's awful. You think your reputation has been down, um, um, downtrodden by other people? Think about this. In John chapter 8, the Jews declared that Jesus was actually demon-possessed. The God of the universe, the man who's living amongst them a perfect life. And they even tried to destroy his reputation. And you know the amazing thing about that story? People believed him. Don't you think? People actually believed that Jesus was demon-possessed because they said so. John chapter 10, they're picking up stones to kill Jesus. And Jesus says, I showed you good works. Why are you stoning me? And they said, we're not stoning you for good works, but for blasphemy. They're destroying his reputation. He's blasphemous. Even one of the men who was closest to Jesus in John chapter 12, verses 1 through 6, it's the story of Mary and Martha and, and the perfume. And Martha uses the perfume to wash Jesus' feet. And Judas gets all up in arms about that. And Judas says it's unloving to use perfume to anoint the feet of Jesus. It could have been sold for 300 denarii and the proceeds given to the poor. Jesus is unloving. So you can live a perfect life and there will still be people, influential people, people around you, the people closest to you who can take your reputation and flush it. You must maintain a good reputation. You're not in control of your reputation. Job had a good reputation. He had an outstanding reputation. He had such a great reputation that Jesus, or or, excuse me, God talked about his reputation to Satan who came to God's courts to ask to have access to Job to take him down because he had such a good reputation. Did you know that if you have a good reputation, you can become a target? And you know the story of Job. The Bible's full of good people being wrongly accused. Think of Joseph and Potiphar's wife. Do you know that story? What do you think Joseph's reputation was while he was in jail for a lie about what was said happened between him and another man's wife? reputation you have joseph to job paul others none more offensively run down in terms of their reputation than jesus christ and this is the tension i referenced you're called to have a good reputation but you're not always in charge of your reputation you don't always get to control that so how can you be responsible for what others are saying about you have you ever thought about that 
I hadn't until this. You, and the answer is you can't. But you are responsible for the truth of the accusations. So someone might assault your reputation. You have no control over that, but what you do have control over is what is the truth of that accusation. You see, there's a companion concept in the Bible that helps us resolve the seeming contradiction or tension, and that is the concept of being above reproach, where you see good testimony or a good reputation very close by is the concept of being above reproach. Being above reproach is to be blameless or of good report. Sound familiar? Another phrase would be stain resistant. The original language implies that you're not only of good report, but that it is deservedly so. Bible makes clear there's going to be a reproach. Everything I've described about people trying to destroy a reputation, is it's all in the Bible. Folks, it's almost, you could almost say if you haven't experienced that, get ready because you will. And if you go through life never experiencing that, then you're not alive. Hebrews 10.32 talks, uh, says you endured a great conflict of sufferings partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations. You hear that word, reproaches? And partly by becoming sharer with those who were so treated. In other words, they came at you because of who you are and that reproach came because of who you stood with. You saw other people's reputation being attacked and you went and you stood with them. How many times have you done that? Hebrews 11, verse 25, talking about Moses says, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. If you're going to stand with Christ and for Christ, you will be, you will be the recipient of reproach. A reproach is the assessment by someone or a group that there is reason for blame, reproof, disgrace. It's criticism. It is defamation, abuse, censure, whatever word you want to use. In short, let's just call it an accusation of wrongdoing. And it can hurt your reputation. But your job is to make sure there is no truth to it. A reproach is only effective in the long term if there is truth in the accusation. And if there is truth, there are consequences. And one of the consequences is a bad reputation. Some of you may know what the UFC is, and you may know who Dana White is. He's been in the news recently. You don't have to know what UFC is or who Dana White is to understand this story. It was a fascinating story for me as I was studying all of this. You see, he was caught on film full-on punching his wife in the face. This is a guy who had very publicly taken a stand against athletes who did that kind of thing. So he was forced to hold a press conference, I don't know, it was a week or two ago. Because the whole world was demanding that he get a 30 or a 60-day suspension for assaulting his wife on camera. Here's what he said. This is a quote from his press conference. 
here's my punishment. I have to walk around for however long I live, and this is how I'm labeled now. My other punishment is that I'm sure a lot of people, whether it be media, fighters, friends, acquaintances, who had respect for me might not have respect for me now. There's a lot of things I have to deal with the rest of my life, and that's way more punishment than what? I take a 30-day or a 60-day absence? You don't bounce back from this, he said. For the rest of my life, people will label me as that. I did it. That's a reproach that's stuck. And he has a reputation now, well-earned, for the rest of his life. He acknowledges culpability and the truth of the accusation. He's not above reproach. The bad reputation was earned. I got a, a video clip today from a commander in the U.S. Navy, somebody I've known a while. And I don't know if you know the, um, um, the controversy, the, the criminal activity going on in the U.S. Navy on the western coast of the United States, a man named Fat Leonard, who owned most of the ports in the Pacific and bribed Navy commanders um, to get secret information and money and all kinds of things. It's incredibly scandalous. And one of the Navy commanders was sentenced today to prison. And in his statement, he essentially said the same thing. Anybody who looks at my record knows, he said, that I was a good commander. But once they see that I was the commander I was, they had a reasonable expectation to know I should have never done what I did. His reputation is completely shot. Whatever respect he had is gone. So, do you have a good reputation? That depends on whether you're above reproach. And do you know whether you're above reproach? I hope you do. But God knows. 1 Corinthians 4, 4 says, For I am conscious of nothing against myself, yet I am not by this acquitted. But the one who examines me is who? It's the Lord. So that's a great encouragement when unfounded criticism comes, by the way. The Lord is the one that judges me. God knows whether the accusation has any substance or traction. He'll bring it to light. So, we all have a reputation. God says a good reputation is important. We don't always have control over that reputation. But what we do have control over is that we are to live a life beyond reproach because our reputation will take care of itself eventually. We need to be a good and careful steward of our own reputation. A good reputation and a stain-resistant life are companion characteristics. The dual command in Scripture to, ha- to ha- be of good repute, good report, and to be above reproach is all over the place. It's directed at spiritual leadership, elders and deacons. It's directed at young men in Titus 2. It's directed at widows in 1 Timothy 5. And if you would, turn in your Bibles to Philippians 2. I want to show you now that being above reproach and having a good reputation is directed to all believers. Everyone in this room who claims to be a believer. It's not just pastors and elders. 
This passage is concise. I'm going to look at verse 12. It's packed with meaning, and it directly applies to the stewardship of reputation. Let me read it to you. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. I know you've heard this verse before. So then, my beloved, just as you've always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Have you heard that before? There's four elements of a life that's above reproach. And I'm highlighting it because we'll just jump ahead really quick to verse 15. Look at the results. Verse 15, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above what? Above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation in which you appear as lights in the world. Verse 12, what are the four things? You can see it. It jumps right out at you. There's four elements here. You live a life of obedience, integrity, effort, and humility. Let's look at it. Verse 12, so then, my beloved, just as you have always what? Obeyed. And then the next element, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. There's integrity. You live the same way when people are looking and when they're not looking. Third element, work out your salvation. That's the effort. That doesn't work to get salvation. It says work out your salvation. We'll talk about that in a minute. And the fourth element right there at the end with fear and trembling. That's the humility. Those are the four elements. You want a life That at the end of days, people say that is a man or that is a woman with a good reputation. Live a life of obedience, integrity, effort, and humility. And none of this is easy. The obedience. um, You have always obeyed. Do we always obey? No, but that's the goal. Live a life of obedience to God's word. Not as in my presence only. But now more in my absence, that's a life of integrity when people are watching and when they're not watching. Work out your salvation, it says, your sanctification. And that's not easy. The Bible tells us in 1 Timothy 4, 15, listen to the verbs here. Take pains with these things. Be absorbed in them so that your progress, there's a verb, will be evident to all. Pay close attention to yourself and to your doctrine persevere in these things that's all work for if you do this you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you titus chapter 2 tells us to be zealous for good deeds that is the effort work out your salvation in other words live according to what you say you are And work hard at that. And then humility, the fear and trembling. I love Hebrews 12, 28. We may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe. It's not service with a proud heart. It's service with reverence and awe. And the next couple words, by the way, in Hebrews 12 are, for our God is a consuming fire. We serve a great God, a powerful God. Do you want a good reputation? Obey. 
Live a life of integrity, same life when people are watching and when they're not watching, because God knows. Work hard at your sanctification and be humble. And verse 15 says that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. That's a good reputation, being above reproach. It says you prove yourselves. That's the reputation, blameless and innocent. That's being above reproach. Those two terms always go together. Be careful to maintain and guard your reputation. That is faithful stewardship. That is what God has called us to. But there's two more reputations you need to be very careful about. And at the end of verse 15, we see the second one. And that is that we are also to be a good and careful steward of the reputation of Jesus Christ. This isn't just about you and me. Although we are to be careful about our own reputations. But at the end of verse 15 there, I love this. You want to prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent because, if you will, you are what? Children of who? Children of God, above reproach. And we're children of God. We are representatives of Christ in a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. You see, we are to maintain a good reputation for ourselves, but we are also as children of God to protect, preserve, and defend the reputation of Christ. He adopted us. He is our father. We must be careful to reflect well on him, not to give cause to diminish his reputation, who he is in a dark world. We represent Christ. Second Corinthians 5 says we are ambassadors for Christ. I remember the first time I ever met my uncle. I think I was 21 years old. I flew to Omaha, Nebraska on, my way, on a business trip on my way to the East Coast because I really wanted to meet my uncle. The only thing we'd ever heard from my uncle was written letters that had been censored. Entire passages in his letters blacked out with ink. And the reason was he worked in an embassy. He was, in a sense, an ambassador of the United States. He was a military attache, actually in a couple of different countries. And I'll never forget, we stayed up all night talking about his career. He's an Air Force colonel. Interesting man. But he explained to me what an ambassador was. That when he was in a foreign country, everything he said was assumed to come from the mouth of the President of the United States. And everything he did was to reflect on the United States of America. And he described what kind of a life that was. He had no private life. Everything he did was scrutinized in the light of who he was representing, not who he was. We, whatever amazing career that was, and it was, we get to be ambassadors for Christ. 
the God of the universe. He gave us his name, Christian. We represent Christ. He adopted us. Ezekiel 11 says he made us his people. 1 Peter 2, 9 says we're chosen. We're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Why? So that we would proclaim his excellencies. You see, we're his ambassadors. But that we would proclaim the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. Can you do anything less than to preserve, protect, and defend the reputation of a God like that? That's what we're called to do. He made us his ambassadors. If I'm God, I'm not sure I'd make Chris Hamilton one of my ambassadors. But he did. And you too. What kind of an ambassador are you? We are aligned with the reputation of Christ. He has traded our dark sin for his purity and his righteousness. Colossians 3.11 boils it down where it says he chose us, he loves us, and he's made us holy and blameless. Amazing. Should we not do everything to protect and guard the reputation of Christ in a lost world? We cannot and we must not diminish Christ by how we behave. He made us to be the light of the earth, of the world, it says in Matthew 5.14. We must act like it. Early in my career, Ann and I had just gotten married. I got transferred up to Central California. I worked for a Fortune 500 company. They moved me up to their biggest division, which was a manufacturing plant. They ran three shifts, 24 hours a day. Fascinating job. One of the men I met up there was a VP, vice president of production. I think he's no longer on this earth. This is the first time probably I've told this story publicly. But every Monday morning... The VP of production would hold a meeting with all the managers. And I got invited my first Monday morning, and it was glorious. A man stood up, pulled out his Bible, and he preached like very few men preach. I mean, he ran a production plant. No formal training in the Bible. I couldn't wait for the next Monday morning. And then I started to hear things. Everybody in that plant knew what he did on business trips. He was a philanderer, a drunk, a cheater. Half the women could tell you the moves he'd made on them. He had a terrible reputation. And I went from, wow, Monday mornings, I'm so glad I'm here, to being like every other person in that room, most of whom despised Christ dreading Monday morning sermons from a man who lived like that. I'll never forget the, the dinner I had with him. Took him to dinner, told him I needed to talk to him. He was a man in his 70s at the time. We had quite a conversation. My message to him was, please stop. Do you understand what you're doing? Now, I'm a 27-year-old punk kid. I was way out over my skis. Probably didn't do it right. 
but I felt so compelled to tell him, you are dragging Christ through your muck. You're elevating your muck and you're dragging Christ down into it and you're mixing it up. He was quite a dinner. He stopped preaching on Monday mornings. He and I became pretty good friends. Um, I don't know that he ever got saved because the first hurdle was he was convinced he he was saved. We are ambassadors for Christ. We need to take very seriously that we are to protect Christ's reputation. We are to avoid doing anything that would pull Christ down to diminish the reputation of Christ. Even in prison, Paul's in prison writing the letter to the Ephesians and he calls himself in prison an ambassador of Christ. There is nowhere we go, nowhere where we are not called to be an ambassador for Christ to preserve and to steward and protect and defend not just our reputation, but the reputation of Christ. We maintain and guard our reputation. We work hard to maintain and preserve and promote the reputation of Christ. And thirdly, we have to be concerned as believers with the stewardship of other believers. And I want to end by talking about that for a few minutes. We need to be quick to preserve and protect each other's reputation. Spent a little bit of time, maybe too much time, talking about how people run down other people's reputation. And there's a reason I did that. Because I wanted to end here tonight. Be very, very careful about how lightly you handle the reputation of other believers, other people. The Bible makes clear that we are to steward each other's reputation. We're often quick to add what we know about someone when a conversation's happening, aren't we? And the juicier the detail, the better, especially if it's a negative conversation and we can add to it. I have a recommendation that applies to me and everyone in this room, but when it comes to talking about other people, perhaps we should strongly consider Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 7. There is a time to speak, And a time to be what? Silent. I want to propose that a time to be silent is when there's an opportunity to talk about other people. It's not always possible. Some of us have positions and jobs where we're required to evaluate other people. I understand that. But when you're required to talk about other people, particularly other believers, I think you should wait to be asked. Be careful. And then consider the truth, the relevance, and the necessity of what you have to say. This week, on uh, January 30th, I was reading Proverbs 30. I love reading Proverbs. Something always hits you. And because of what I was studying, verse 32 hit me. Proverbs 30, verse 32. If you've been foolish in exalting yourself, or you, if you have plotted evil, put your hand on your mouth. Be quiet. Stop. Be very slow to run down the reputation of another. And I suspect there might be a few stories in this room about people who have ruined the reputation of others. 
We call this gossip, slander, defamation, all the things I've already talked about. And they tend to be based on rumor and innuendo and insinuations and sometimes even the truth. Sometimes you can know the truth about somebody and that truth doesn't set anybody free. It destroys a reputation. Leviticus 19, starting in verse 15, says, You shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor nor defer to the great, but you are to judge your neighbor fairly. You shall not go about as a slanderer among your people, and you are not to act against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You know, there's a very dramatic illustration of this from history. This history was only... See if I can do the math on the run. Well, I'll just say it was in 2006. I don't know how many years ago that was. 17? It's late. I'm an accountant. I don't do math this late. There were three college lacrosse players who attended Duke University. You may have heard about the Duke lacrosse team. These men were accused of raping a woman and abusing her in the most horrific, shocking ways. And they were accused of kidnapping her. This was international news when it happened. Happened in Durham, North Carolina. The grand jury there indicted these three young men and very publicly moved towards trial. There was huge publicity. Prosecutors and politicians used that case to push Issues like race and women's rights and social justice. They passed laws in Congress and in most of the 50 states. The president used to push on the culture in a very big way, the issues of feminism and social justice. It was a circus. And these three um, young men were known all over the world for a long time, almost daily. Their pictures and their names were published as the young men who had raped and abused and kidnapped this young lady. They were roundly uh, convicted in the court of public opinion. They were mocked. Their lives were threatened. On and on it went. And what's interesting is the DNA evidence, eyewitness evidence, and other evidence all showed that the victim lied the prosecutor, a man named Nifong, was, was called rogue by the court. It was all a setup. It was all a lie. And it was used to destroy the lives of three young men for the sake of a political cause. You see, they figured out pretty quickly it was a lie, but they couldn't tell anybody that. Fourteen months after the accusation, all the charges were dropped, and the young men weren't just declared not guilty, but the court wanted the world to know these men are innocent. It did not happen. The three players eventually each received $20 million settlements. Do you think that helped them? I I found it interesting. I tried to find out where are they now. One, you can find out a little bit about what he's doing. The other two have completely dropped off the face of the earth. Do you think they'll ever get their names back? It's a dramatic illustration of the principle 
And by the way, the accuser is presently in prison for the rest of her life. She murdered her boyfriend in 2013. It's a wicked woman. That woman took down three people in a way that can never be undone. $20 million doesn't undo that. And by the way, you can still find crazy people that insist those three men did it. And that's, as I found out, why two of the men have gone into hiding for the rest of their life. Colossians 3 says, but now you also put them all aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Please watch out for the reputation of other people. Steward your reputation. Guard and protect the reputation of Jesus Christ who you claim to be with. And please protect the reputation of the people around you. Instead of reporting on other people's failures, weaknesses, and mistakes, we should go a completely different direction. We should be encouraging, complimentary, and loudly thankful for others. And why do I say that? Well, Colossians 4, 6 says, let your speech always be seasoned with what? Grace. As though seasoned with salt. So that you will know how you should respond to each person. Be gracious. Grace is not always saying everything you know. Salt, as some of you said, very important. It's preservative. Preserve people with your speech. Preserve their reputation. The Bible makes much of the principle that self-praise really stinks. It's a technical term. It also references the need of letting others praise you rather than your own words. And perhaps we're really good in the church at not praising ourselves, but I wonder how good are we on the other side of that equation? Proverbs 27, 2 says, Let another praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. It's wise, it's humble, it's biblical. Don't walk around and talk about how great you are. But Proverbs 31 probably illustrates the principle of what how we should all react to that. If you're not going to tell anybody what you do and how you do it, it's incumbent on me to do that. To say thank you to you, to tell others about what it is you do. Proverbs 31 talks about the a godly woman. It says her children rise up and bless her, her husband also. And he praises her saying, many daughters have done nobly, but you excel them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord. Here's the phrase, she shall be praised. Give her the product of her hands and let her works praise her. You know what it says in the core of that passage? A woman who loves and fears the Lord shall be praised. And all around it, it says her children praise her, her husband praises her, her works praise her, never her own lips. If we're going to steward the reputation of other people, I think we would do well to remember that people are not going to speak well of themselves, but it's incumbent on you and I to speak well of them. To stay away from slander, 
to not always say everything we know. And I'm not talking about flattery. I'm talking about genuine appreciation of the people around us. That we praise that. 1 Thessalonians 5.11, Therefore encourage one another and build up one another just as you also are doing. That's how you protect the reputation of others. You don't lie about them. You don't flatter them, but you encourage them. You and I need to be careful stewards of our own reputation. We need to be vigilant, diligent, aggressive stewards of the reputation of Christ. And we need to be vigilant stewards of the reputation of others. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the clarity of your word. Lord, I pray that somehow I could have communicated that. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak to each of us, that you would guide us, that you would teach us, that you would confront us in consideration of what we've looked at tonight. Lord, I pray that foundation would be known as people with good testimony, that there would be good testimony of the people in foundation by other people in foundation who are concerned with stewarding reputations of others, of Christ, and of our own reputation, to your praise and glory and to the advancement of your kingdom, not that we would look good, but in obedience to you and your word. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.